0: If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder, the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and and take care of yourselves. Hey guys, welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm here with my friend and co-host, Laura Spath. Today, we're going to talk about how to transition people or have people in your life whether it's your kids whether it's your spouse whether it's friends to eat a more meat focused diet if um, especially if they're not willing to eat carnivore or a low carb diet
1: judy and i have kids that are the same age and my kids were eating um, more of a standard diet before and i get a lot of questions about how to how did i transition them how do i get kids to eat more meat Um, our friend Barbara always talks about the fact that whenever we give examples for our kids, she uses those same tactics on her boyfriend to get him to eat more meat and less carbs. So I think, you know, obviously we're going to focus this a lot on like the kids and because that's our experiences, but the same kind of concepts could hopefully be applied to, you know, if you have a spouse or other family members who you're just trying to help them to take those baby steps to improve their health. We can't expect everybody to commit to full carnivore, especially if they're resistant, but I think that anytime we can reduce some carbs and sugar and add more meat is gonna be a benefit. So we're just trying to kind of get everybody there and to see how much better they can feel eating more meat.
0: And I could share a little bit about my husband's background because I think he's like the perfect example of somebody that's a moderator that refuses to do carnivore, yet I was still able to help him eat more meat than he ever has in his life. So his mother passed away at the young age of 59. So she was type 1 diabetic and I don't think she really managed it well and she had heart disease and ended up passing away way too soon. And because of that, my husband was deathly afraid of anything to do with heart disease and totally bought into cholesterol's bad. So he is the guy that you see that eats pizza and then dabs the, the oil on top with a napkin. Because again, he would try to eat just really lean cuts. When I first met him, he was eating turkey bacons and um, all the sausages with the lean meats. As I was just eating carnivore, um, you know, I would share some of the science, but that didn't really move the needle much for him. And I think what really changed him was he got his blood work. His cholesterol wasn't that ideal. So his triglycerides were above 100 and his HDL was, I don't know, maybe 40s. It wasn't that good. And his doctor, because he was still in his 30s, said to him, okay, we have to kind of keep an eye out on your blood work, and you may eventually need to get on a statin. Um, his glucose markers were decent. I think they were in the 90s. Um, But since I make most of the food in my house, um, he just kind of started following suit with the amounts of fat. And over the years, as we do his blood work, and he's seen his cholesterol markers improve. So now his triglycerides are in the 70s and his HDL is in the mid to high 50s. And I'd still like to see that marker improve. And I think it can with a little less carbohydrates and maybe some more fish and other foods like that. But what really moved the needle for my husband was using a CGM. So he would get lower carb foods and he would eat certain foods and he would do intermittent fasting But it took him to use the CGM for about two weeks for him to then realize, oh, I thought that was low carb in terms of a meal, there's only 50 grams, but he would see his blood sugar skyrocket from like 100 to 160. And that's when he started waking up with, oh, so a lot of these marketing tactics are occurring. And that really woke him up to then start seeing, okay, maybe carbs are more of the issue. And that has helped him a lot. But My husband will never be carnivore. He tried it for one month. He had keto flu. He had the keto rash. Um, He was very miserable because he's a moderator. But over the years, as he's seen my health improve, and then he's seen his own health where when he was wearing the CGM, he would sometimes eat a lot of carbs, and then he would wake up really early. And I'm like, you're having a hypoglycemic effect. He started noticing these changes. It helped him to now be more open to eating more meat based so he eats now meat in every meal there still is carbs but until his markers show otherwise um, i don't think he'll ever fully give up carbs and maybe he doesn't need to but that's how i've helped my husband who once only ate like turkey meats and turkey sausage and turkey bacon now we get the full fat um, pork and uh, the ribeyes with extra butter added and he's no longer as scared as he used to be So that was how I did it with him.
1: Yeah. If you have an adult, um, especially somebody in your life who's diabetic, um, who is kind of still just taking their medication. That's how Chris uh, was before he was just taking his medication and still eating badly uh, if they are open to it or say they're skeptical that they're fine, I feel fine. It's great. Like it's managed for my, I think getting, if you can convince them to do a CGM, that would be a huge eye opener for them because yes. those afternoon naps that they're having, those crashes, their terrible sleep at night, that would all show up on that CGM. And I think that would be really, really powerful. I, I don't think you need to do that with kids. I think there's a lot right. more things that we control. That would be amazing with, you know, a mother or a parent or a spouse who is, resistant because they think that they're fine, I guess. So that would be really awesome. Um I know Judy and I both our kids are not strict carnivores. We talk about that a lot. We talk about examples of like they'll eat treats. The biggest thing for I know for my kids, we try to talk about frequency of sugar and talking about the fact that like mom and dad were So sick because we used to eat too much sugar and see this picture of me I don't talk about my weight in that picture I talk about that's when I was really sick because I ate sugar all the time And I was really sick then and so then I stopped eating sugar and I got a lot healthier and so we try to really Not focus everything around weight necessarily more just about the frequency of sugar and the fact that the sugar Too much sugar for too long made me sick and so when we look at the kids it's talking about the fact that like, it's not this sugar alone that's making you sick. It's having too much sugar and not enough protein that's making you sick. And so, you know, I don't know if I'm making the right decision or not. All I'm trying to do is like raise kids who can have a normal relationship with food, unlike myself, but I'm hoping that they can have some treats on their birthday and then be a normal person the next day and not have that cause a spiral like myself. And so you know, whether it's right or wrong, that's kind of our mentality. If they go to a birthday party and there's pizza and cake served, they will have those things. I kind of mentioned that a lot. I try not to post pictures because I don't want to trigger people, but, you know, we mention those things. And then the conversation that we have with them is, okay, you had a lot of sugar. Now let's take a break of sugar for a few days. And like, let's let your body take a break and get back to that. And so, you know, with kids, I think a lot of people get their own health in order And their kids are still eating goldfish, cereal for breakfast, desserts for every meal, you know, um, and having like snacks. And and really, I hear I think you and I both hear constantly people saying, like, I can't get my kids to eat any meat. Um, And so kind of the same thing, like, what can we do to help transition them um, and encourage kids to, like, eat more meat and eat less carbs and sugar? (laughs)
0: Yeah. And one thing I want to say before we get into a little bit of that is I think you too, Laura, but we both try to do the meat only carnivore on our kids in the very beginning, because I know a lot of people will say, well, if you know that these foods are so toxic and processed carbs are so bad, why are you feeding them to your children? So I used to get that a lot when I started sharing a little bit um, that my kids have maybe some a a popsicle sometimes or things like that. But I did try the two years, a good two years of their life of doing meat only carnivore and very limited carbs. And it was taxing on our families. When they went to uh, parties, I wouldn't allow them to eat any of the desserts. And I could tell they were sad. And it's not about just giving into all this junk food. But I come from a place of an eating disorder. And I never want my children to leave home and then say, finally, I have no parents to then dictate what I can and cannot eat. So I am going to go binge off of cakes and pizzas and beer. And knowing that now I balance it where we focus on meat and protein first, and then afterward, if they want a carb, they're able to and I always have a little bit of a running total in my head um, in terms of the carbohydrates. But there will be times on the weekends where Kevin will want to have just a regular pizza. And then my kids will eat it with them, and. Sometimes they end up having eczema or they have a tummy ache and I use it as a learning lesson, but that's why we don't eat zero carb carnivore. Because again, I came from an eating disorder and I don't want my kids to have a funky relationship with food when the rest of the world is eating um, carbs in some extent.
1: And that's where I went to, like I was raised on a farm. My mom made all of our bread. We never ate in restaurants. I wasn't allowed to have sodas. And then I went to college and was able to eat donuts from a gas station and lived across the street from a taco bell. And I gained massive amounts of weight because I had access to all these things. And so I don't, I don't know what's the right thing to do. All I know is that this is what I, I hope is best. And I also tell them as well that, or like we talk about in our family, they're not reversing a lifetime of metabolic damage. Like I, I was. And so their bodies, while they are needing, absolutely needing quality nutrients to grow and for brain health and all those things. They also can handle more of the treats than I can, because I don't have, they don't have the damaged relationship with food that I do. And they also don't have t- you know, tons of metabolic damage to reverse like uh, Chris was. And like I do. And so that's part of the reason why we're strict. And so when they say, do you want some of my ice cream? Right. Just, just have one bite. You can have one bite. My answer to them and they know is to say, oh, one bite. I cannot have one bite. One bite makes me want more and more and more. And my brain goes crazy and I just want to eat it all. And so I can't do that. And also I kind of say like, I already had enough sugar for my whole life. So if you want to keep having sugar your whole life, you better just have a little bit now and again, because at some point you're going to have too much. And I already had too much sugar for my whole life. So that's why I can't have any more. I ran out of space. So, I mean, you know, we, we, my kids were, we went really strict in the beginning. Um, the older they get, I think the harder it is. If you have teenagers already, that's massively difficult. Um, kind of the older they are, same thing goes for, for grownups. I think the very first and first, first and foremost thing that I would suggest for kids is just to cut out snacking. Um, most of the time kids are good. It's fortunately like the school and church and all these places they go, they give kids snacks full time. But the minute that I cut out these snacks I was honestly, I was the type of mom that wouldn't go to the grocery store without at least three or four different snack options in my diaper bag to be able to give them in the cart. The minute they got fussy, it's like, have a snack. The minute we're in the car and they're fussy, have a snack. You go anywhere and it's like, have a snack. Chris used to get so irritated with me because before we went to like run an errand, I'd be packing up a little cooler bag of snacks for the kids. So I was like snack addict mom pushing them on my kids. And so it was not easy when we cut out snacking originally. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, if some kid, wanted, like if your kid needed food or wanted cheese or meat or something between meals, that's one thing, but I'm talking like the goldfish, the veggie straws. Like I was super big on the veggie straws. Cause I thought that that was healthy for them and all the other, I'm trying to think of like whatever else, just tons of like dried fruits and all these things. But the minute we cut out the snacks, they instantly got hungrier for their meals and, it took a couple days for that. Like, you know, we had a couple hungry situations. But, like you said, then you get to your meals, and the first thing that you need to eat is your protein. And so it's have some protein first. We need it in our brains. we got to help our bodies grow and have some protein. So even now we had friends over the other day and the kids started eating. And then Penelope comes over. She's like, mom, they're not eating their protein first. And I was like, (laughs) well, maybe their rules are different in that family's house. Like she's like, somebody's not eating protein first. These kids were eating like, you know, the side items first. But it's like now it's this habit of the minute that they see their plate, the first thing they do. And we, it's like another small little thing, but like, When they first started transitioning to this, I wouldn't put like the fruit and the vegetables and the meat on their plate at the same time because then instantly the kids want to eat the fruit first and then they're full. And then two hours later, they're hungry again. It's like we would put on their plate the meat or the protein only. And that's it. Like eat this. Then you can have something else. And we still actually do that. Quite a bit. If we're eating at home, it's like you eat the meat that's on your plate first. And then when you're done, you can go to the pantry and you can grab something else to have when you're finished with your meat. But then we at least know that they're going to get a decent portion of meat before they say that they're full and fill up.
0: Yeah, we do the same thing. Um, I think slowly we're adding the carbs with the meal. And then we just say, usually just have it at the end, especially and remind them if they're going for the carbs first. But I think we do a lot of the similar things. I, I, too, was a mom that, um, especially with Caleb, who's my oldest now, and I was still plant-based then, we had all the pintergrass little oh, puff, the puffs, puffy. Yes.
1: We went through a lot of those,
0: yeah. Yeah. And then the pouches of all the different types of fruits and vegetables they can eat in a pouch, but it's primarily just added sugars. And, and I would carry that everywhere, too. And if my son wasn't eating, I mean, especially in the Asian culture, it's like feed, feed. Um, the way that you show love is through feeding. I just made sure my son was eating all the time. And he was a very chubby baby. And I thought I was being a good mom doing that. And and then on top of that, I was giving him a lot of toddler formulas, which have the seed oils and the sugars. And I thought I was doing good. But in reality, I was making him like a carb addict. So then when I became meat-based, it became really hard for him to transition. And like you said, it took about a week or two, or maybe even, even took a little bit longer than that. But there were periods where he didn't want to eat the meat. and we just got rid of the snacks. Literally with Aiden, there were no pouches, there were no puffs or any of those types of treats. And it was you had meals. And if you were, if you didn't eat your meal, then you're going to be hungry. And Kevin is pretty stern. So while I probably would have caved and gave them something else, um, he was pretty good about just being adamant. And so my sons learned pretty quickly that if they don't eat their meat at their meals, then they're going to go hungry. And it's just very normal now. Um, all of their lunches that we pack and I purposely pick schools that they don't offer the school lunches. And the other day, Kevin said that Aiden mentioned, Oh, how come all my friends get peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and rice crispy treats? And I forgot what I think maybe goldfish and I don't get any of that or the juice too. And we just say, yeah, because, um, mom's a nutritionist and she focuses on meat. You can get that occasionally. And so I found there was an organic rice crispy version and I gave him half a piece of that one day, but you know, and that's that balance for me, but I'm not going to just have them feel a part of their community by feeding them that junk food because it's going to make them have poor health in the future. And I know that because that's what I grew up on. And I, don't want them to deal with mental health issues and other things that I did as well. So I do prioritize protein and fat and I prioritize a lot of fat. My kids don't like eating fat um, in chunks. So I use a lot of the rendered fat with them, whether it's butter, whether it's lard and um, they're used to eating high fat and, um, and that's how we do it. And if they want snacks, it, it has to be after their meals. And that's just how we've been able to assimilate my kids to eat meat based.
1: So I think that's it. I think instantly cutting out snacks helps them to be hungrier. I think, you know, finding a lot of it for us at, it's like, okay, prioritize protein. But then it's like, well, my kid won't eat any protein. And we went through that, like Penelope will eat steak for every meal and Nathaniel will still not right. It's kind of depends on the circumstances. So to me, it's like finding the one protein that they'll eat and then really trying to build off of that. And for Nathaniel, especially like if it took some sugar-free barbecue sauce or it takes the no sugar ketchup and he can dip something in something like those things are really helpful. Um, you know, I tried cooking eggs about like 15 different ways before I found a version of eggs that they'll like, we tried. So I would say like, you know, texture is a really big thing for kids. And so sometimes like a steak is harder to chew versus like a burger patty um, is going to be a lot easier. There's a lot of different ways that you can do um, chicken and pork. And like, you know, we've been making those Parmesan pork nuggets. So like, it's one thing, honestly, I would say half of his lunches, Nathaniel eats a burger patty. If we're home, like there's nothing wrong to me, there's nothing wrong. If he, if that's what he likes and it's meat and it's fat and he's good with it. Like I'm, I could eat a ribeye every day. So like, why is it, do I feel like he needs to have more variety than that? Right. And I have no issues if, if a bunch of us are eating other variety of meats and I just throw an extra burger patty on for him. So it's like, we kind of start with the one that you think that they'll eat and just give it to them on repeat to create the good habits of that. And then you can slowly expand. Like, you know, we the kids have to try new things, but they don't actually have to eat it. Like, I'm not going to force them right. to eat crazy things that they don't want, but it's like constantly getting them to try new things. So Nathaniel will have his burger patty and then you also have to try like what everybody, you know, the other meats that are on the table and that are available. So over the t- over time, we've added three or four more meats and eggs and like other things that he would be willing to eat. But I think it's just trying to find like, what's the one thing at first. And if it's, it's in the very beginning, maybe it's swapping out the really bad chicken nuggets for like the gluten free chicken nuggets right. and swapping out the Doritos for the grain free chips or swapping out the um, we did the regular crackers of some kind for the almond flour crackers. Like we did a lot of swaps in the beginning and then really just started with like picking one or two things that they would eat. And then just trying to like give that on repeat and then continue to expand, um, adding new things into it.
0: Yeah, I think that's really good. Um, My youngest hated eggs when he was really little. And I tried scrambled, I tried hard-boiled. And I think he ended up liking the scrambled, but he refused to eat the hard-boiled. So if I sent it in his lunch, he would not eat the egg yolks, especially because he says it's really dry. And I know you're not a big fan of (laughs) hard-boiled eggs either. Yeah. but. Eventually, you know, just with exposure, he loves hard boiled eggs. So if we have a bowl of hard boiled eggs, he'll go in the fridge and just eat it without any salt. And now he loves it. Kids' palates also change. I mean, yes. he's only five. And in that period of time, he now loves hard boiled eggs. So just find the meats that they enjoy. And the biggest thing is they have to be hungry. And I think that's the key. Yeah. I mean, when you are feeding your kids hyper palatable processed foods that have a lot of sugar and a lot of colors, they get used to that. And then their st- stomachs are so much smaller than ours. And if I ever feed my child like a like a protein smoothie right before a meal, even if it's an hour or two ahead, they barely eat their dinner. And I've learned that and it doesn't matter how meat based they are. It's just their stomachs are small. I, I do recommend limiting juices and also just limiting snacks before meals. And then when they're hungry, I mean, kids will eat and it's not that difficult to have them eat meat.
1: Well, that's all, I'm the same way though. If I've had a snack at two in the afternoon of like some cheese and pepperonis and pork rinds, like dinner doesn't sound good to me. Or like, you know, if I've been snacking regularly, then like, I don't want to sit down and eat like a bowl of meat because I've just, it's not, it's that hyper palatable that I'm looking for. If I'm really hungry, then I know that my appetite and my um, interest in eating meat like that will increase. I think that's something else too. My kids eat a lot of ground beef. We call them like we'll do cheeseburger bowls that have like um, just ground beef and cheese mixed in with it. Uh, And then sometimes they'll drizzle a little uh, ketchup on top or we'll do pizza bowls, which is the marinara sauce and put a little mozzarella cheese on top or pepperonis in it. We'll do sloppy Joe bowls with like some tomato paste and some seasonings. And so it's like, you can take these same things and like you know, I would say half of the evenings for dinner, my kids are having a bowl of ground beef, but like something else is mixed in it and they're calling it one of these taco bowls as the other one, like they do right. that. And and so I also think too, like you just keep offering it like regularly. I think it took like a year for my kids to ever want to eat a pork rind. And so originally neither one of them would eat it. They tried it. It's like, hey, just try one. You got to try one. And then eventually all of a sudden now they're both love it. And Penelope's going to sit there with a bowl of sour cream and pork rinds. And just eat it as a snack or like eat it after her main port of her meal. But she would never have even done that a couple, you know, a year ago or even maybe six months ago. It just but it's kind of continuing to offer that. It's why I'm such a big believer in those swaps. If like having a couple, you know, uh, keto cookies at the end of their meal is incentive enough for them to eat their meat at the beginning. And it's creating a better taste for meat. They're more willingness to try things and you're offering them some raisins at the end, or like I'll do the Lily's chocolate chips and raisins and make like a little, we have like some little cups, um, that I'll put some of those kind of like chocolate chips and, and raisins in, or like a keto cookie. We were using those a lot in the beginning. as like a little treat for after their meal, because they were used to getting actual dessert and so when you're you know trying to get them off of that just finding other little things that you can use um is helpful
0: you know one of the questions i get a lot in my stories because i share my children's lunch a lot is do your kids feel different or abnormal for you know taking mostly meat-based foods and i was just curious i i actually don't think you guys eat lunch at school but they do when your kids eat oh they do now okay yeah do they ever ask how come I eat this way? Or, you know, have they ever made a stink about why, why don't I eat like most kids?
1: I don't think so. I mean, they haven't said that because mainly because we don't, we don't do traditional school, thankfully. So like they're not getting 30 kids birthdays. Like I remember when Penelope was in kindergarten, they had like a birthday party every other day. It seems like for some kid and there was like a donate or a, a donut or a cupcake And we used to limit that. And that was like very stressful for me. And it just was such a nightmare, honestly. So that type of situation, I don't think I would allow to have cupcakes for 30 kids throughout the course of the school year. Like I think we would come up with our own keto version or a different swap for that. But thankfully now they're in a school with like six kids. So over the course of the year, it's like six times there's a little birthday treat that the kids bring. And so we have allowed them to do treat. Like if the kid brings a treat for their birthday, because I know it's less frequent than normal school, um, then they have that treat. So they don't notice that when they pack their lunches, we really try, this is the food they eat at home. I try to give them a lot of choices on what they do. And I mean, Chris packs most of their lunches, but he's still letting them choose. They take a lot of bacon in their lunches. They take a chicken quesadilla. Um, other kids are eating sandwiches, but they're doing a chicken quesadilla with a low carb tortilla. And so they eat that kind of, they feel like it's like a little bit like a sandwich. They do a lot of bacon, which I mean, luckily they're like, hello, why would you want, I want to eat bacon for your lunch. This is amazing. They love that. Right. Or other things. Like I send them with like homemade pork chips a lot. And what's hilarious is that they end up giving them. And sometimes their sausages that they send like more than anything, I think I've heard of them giving it to their friends and like sharing it where there's another kid in, in their little class that's like obsessed with my homemade pork chips. And he's always trying to get Nathaniel to bring extras in his lunch to share with him. So I don't know. I don't think so mainly because we don't do zero treats ever. And I think it would be mm-hmm. a lot harder if we did that or they would have more feelings like you mentioned that way. But as far as like what's in their individual lunches um, you know, if they've never felt that way. I think because they enjoy what they're eating.
0: Yeah, it might be just that. I mean, maybe we're not the best people to ask because my kids don't go to the traditional schools either. Caleb went to a Christian preschool and went, so I used to have him take liver pate and sometimes, you know, there's a very strong smell to it. And when he would open up the lunchbox, people would, or he would take pork rinds. And he did tell me that some kids would say, ew, you know, and then he would feel a little weird about that. But that was when I think he was three but he's never really brought it up since then. And I know that in his new school, a lot of the kids, like you said, also take some of his meat and they really like it.
1: I love the fact that like normalizing, not everybody eating junk is like so much more common now. Like I volunteer at church in the kids' room and the number of kids that come in with like a little designation on their name tag that says like they can't have gluten. Um, and so, you know, like, unfortunately they still give out snack. I actually just, (laughs) met with the lady at church, the coordinator saying like, Hey, instead of giving candy for memory verses, like, what if I donated like a bunch of stickers or a little toys? Mm-hmm. Or so when the kids learn their memory verse, can they have that instead of candy? <laughs> but, um, it's like, I, I, I try to do like little things like that, but, um, just cause I know that some of the kids then get like, everybody's obsessed. I, I see it now being in the room. They're all obsessed with like, making sure that they get their candy for the week or something, which is honestly more than anything. It ends up being a distraction in the classroom. Like I know that that sometimes seems like it would be good to like entertain the kids, but it ends up being this like obsession that they're all dealing with or this distraction in there. But um, my point was, there's more and more kids that are coming in and they're bringing their own snack. You know, there's like three or four kids of this group of 30 that all just like brought their own snack. And so when everybody's passed out goldfish, these kids like pull their own snack out of their backpack, They're like, I can't have gluten or I can't have red food dye. And like they eat their own little stuff that they bring. And I love that. And I'm seeing that more and more common. Now, unfortunately, I think part of that reason is that we have more and more kids who have food sensitivities and are unhealthier and like have other like problems. But I also do think part of it is like parents are becoming more educated and trying to avoid those things for their kids as well.
0: How long is uh, the kids service that they're eating snacks, ma'am? It is an hour and 15
1: minutes. Like, don't even get <laughs> me started. Like I, I, it's just, I think anywhere you go, it's like they're in there like an hour and they need goldfish. And it's crazy. Cause some of the classrooms, they have like a scoop and they get like a quarter cup of goldfish. And then other classrooms, it's like a half of a cup. Like that's a massive amount of goldfish. Wow. And so I always was telling my kids, like, we're going out to lunch. after this. like, don't eat it much. Like, that was also an issue because they would eat their lunch fine every day. But on Sundays when they would have this huge pile of goldfish, then they would come home and not want to eat any meat for their lunch. And so I noticed, especially when they were younger, a drastic difference. And so I started sending them with their own snack, but then there's other kids that do too. Right. So
0: right
1: now it's like half the time we remember and half the time we don't, but um, it is interesting where I could instantly see a difference in how much meat they were willing to consume for their lunch when they had been at church because they would get a snack at church.
0: A long time ago, you brought up an example to me where you went on Penelope's field trip and you saw some of the kids and what they were eating. And a lot of them were eating really high sugary foods. And then you saw some of them crash um, on the bus. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you noticed a difference? Yeah,
1: just, I mean, I was a chaperone in her kindergarten field trip. We went to the museum or we went, I did, I went to the zoo and then I did another one to the, to the museum, but both times, like a lot of the kids were literally just eating like candy bars or Lunchables or uh, cans of pop that they had to bring their own lunch. And then on the way home, there was kids who like literally were passed out. It's like, you know, two in the afternoon and you're on your way home from a field trip. And the kids are like zonked out completely asleep on the bus on the way home. And you could tell this right before that, they were the ones that were like hyperactively running around the museum, not listening, not being able to stand in line. Like I'm not a big fan of like this, you know, government school field trip lined up (laughs) anyway, that's a side note. But when, you know, your kid is like going crazy and wild and like can't function and be able to listen and kind of follow along with, with the group. Um, and then, you see the crash afterwards, uh, where they fall asleep on the bus on the way back. Like, you know, I'm sure too that a lot of those kids, their sleep at night is really messed up because they're going through that same sugar crash roller coaster, right. like in the evenings.
0: It drives me crazy that nutrition is not prioritized in schools. I mean, we've gone through so many interviews now trying to find a perfect unschooling school or a half homeschooling school, and none of them focus on nutrition. And I get it because some people are vegan and some people are, um, standard dieters. And I think they just don't want to touch that. But the recent school that Caleb was going to, his school has only 50 kids and it goes all the way up to, I think, age 16. And a lot of those kids, then they just bring whatever they want. And the, They have a kitchen that they use. And a lot of the kids were bringing a couple noodles every single day. And so my son asked me, when I'm older, can I bring a couple noodles? And I'm like, no, you can (laughs) never bring a couple noodles. But it's, it's wild to me. So they're spending money to send these kids to a different school. But never once do we think about nutrition. And then in that school, my kids were getting or Caleb was getting rewarded with red food dye lifesavers. For cleaning up. And at a certain point, I told Caleb that you can't eat those anymore. I will trade you after saving up a certain amount. I'll trade it for something else because I, one, do not like food dyes. And then, secondly, they're giving you drips of sugar all the time just because you cleaned up. And that should be part of your daily activities rather than something you get rewarded for. Right.
1: I think, um, unfortunately, even with the way that inflation is right now, then schools are having to make a lot of changes like schools that I've that provide their food are now cutting back on meat even more so and using the pizzas and stuff to count as the protein um, or beans a lot of it because of the fact that like they're still getting the same school budget for lunches but the cost of ingredients is so much higher and I don't even know too many schools that would do meat as the protein on the school lunch anyway just because Most kids aren't going to eat that in that form, unfortunately, but, um, whatever meat and protein was there is already being swapped out. Not only because of a lot of schools are doing like meatless Mondays and moving to more plant based food and items, but also just the way that inflation is like schools are having to make decisions on their own to cut back on some of these proteins because that's the expensive part of the meal.
0: That's unfortunate. And I, I I totally believe it when I was doing research on kids lunches in the past, I know that they swapped a healthy fruit and vegetable for ketchup and that the ketchup would actually equal one extra fruit or vegetable. Which is high fructose
1: corn syrup and just mainly sugar. Right.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: I I don't know the answer to everybody. I think the older your kids are, I say this as well. um, It's harder, you know, I mean, ideally you're the one controlling the food that's in your house and whether or not it's kids or whether it's your spouse, I would hope that people in your own home would respect your decisions to not need those food in your house. And I think honestly, that's what had Chris and I switching the kids around because we didn't want the junk food in the house that they were eating um, because it was temptation for us. And so we kind of switched them later. I think, you know, that makes it easier to control if you can keep it out of your house. And that ends up being the mindset that we take mostly with the kids is like, we don't have it ever in our house, but if they have it outside of the home, like I try not to stress too much about it just because, I have to live my life and I can't have f- what they're eating every, you know, every bite that they eat be like my main focus. Like, I don't want to put that stress or pressure on them either, right. um, to cause whatever issue. But I know like when you first came over to carnivore and, and maybe now it's different, but you originally told Kevin, like, you can't have these certain foods in the house because they will be a trigger for me. And so I think if you have a spouse who's really unwilling to do that, or you have, people in your home who are unwilling to respect that. I think that's a whole other conversation about that. You need to be having with them. Um, Hopefully to, to understand like where the respect is for you and how they can love you is to keep some of those foods out of the house that are triggering for you. Um, But I think that's an easy way to help with your family and your kids as well is just to keep it out of the house.
0: Yeah. I think that's really good. I mean, Kevin didn't have certain foods in the house for a little bit And I think he just got used to not having it. So they're rarely ever in the house anyway. But if he did now, I mean, it's a non-issue. But in the beginning, I mean, I really needed him to do that for me. And he was supportive. There were a lot of days that I was just stuck in my eating disorder world. And I was just not present, period. And he was willing to do whatever to help me just regain my health and be better and just be present as a mom and as a wife when, you know, desperate times cause for desperate measures in that sense. And it's really just done a lot for our families, I know it's hard to change our kids habits, especially if they are older. And I will say that a lot of the people I've interviewed through the Nutrition with Judy channel, when I talk about their kids, they're honest with me. And they say a lot of them don't eat perfect diet. I think even with the scientists and researchers and people that are in the space that are known for wellness, their kids don't eat perfectly. And they're very aware of that. Don't be so hard on yourself. If your kids don't eat perfect, this is again, this is the balance of real life.
1: And I think that while I have to be so extreme of having none of those things for myself, like I can't tolerate those things. I think with kids trying to force that is almost going to make it more challenging where you can focus on just having any amount of less carbs and sugar and more meat and protein is going to be helpful at first. And I think you need to give yourself grace to get there over time um, and to not expect somebody who's, you know, not... you're bought into this, you know, the health reasons why you're doing this for yourself, but somebody else who's almost like going along by proxy, they can't be expected to transition this way completely overnight. Um, and I think that, you know, just trying to take it a day at a time and one meal at a time and just getting them to try new things, uh, and to, you know, cut some other junk out is, is the best that you can do.
0: Yes. It's the long-term
1: consistency
0: and, what they eat, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of sugar a year. If you could just limit that even down to a quarter, I mean, that's a significant change.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay, guys, I hope that this conversation just um, gives you tips and to help people to eat more meat focused. Uh, I I know not everyone needs to eat meat based. But if it's for older people, I think numbers um, are really beneficial, whether it's a CGM, whether it's just tracking, whether it's doing some blood work. And then for younger kids, it's just focusing on and prioritizing meats and fats as um, an ideal fuel source. Um, A lot of times kids like competition. So when I tell my kids, hey, whoever eats more meat will end up being more like Superman or a Hulk. um, I notice that they'll eat a little bit more. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura Eastbath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura Spath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain.